Hey, Boss Heroes, good news. You can now sign up for my Boss Better email newsletter with a single text. Twice a month, I'll send advice, resources, and words of encouragement straight to your inbox. This is the only way to make sure you get everything we share and never miss a thing. Just text the word Boss Hero to 66866 to get signed up. That's Boss Hero, all one word, to 66866. Or you can visit BossBetterNow.com to subscribe. And now, on with the show. Have you seen those signs in local businesses asking customers to please be kind to employees? It turns out they're not working. Today, we're talking about what bosses must do to support and protect teams from a steady onslaught of difficult customer behavior. Plus, I'll give you a boss script to help you get more detail and more insight during employee conversations. I demand to talk to your manager right now on Boss Better Now. You're listening to Boss Better Now. Please welcome speaker, author, and nighttime snacker, Joe Mall. Hello again, Boss Heroes. Welcome back to the show. Whether you're listening on your smart speaker, your smartphone, with your smart friends, in your smart car, during your workout, I don't have the word smart to drop in there anywhere. Uh, anyway, wherever you're listening, we're thrilled to have you here. Please welcome my co-host, professional coach, Alyssa Mullet. I, too. I'm a nighttime snacker. Guilty, right? support club. <laughs> uh, probably not enough you know support what? clubs. <laughs> you know what's interesting? I, I am at this unique spot where, like, if my kid's bedtime gets any later, mm. my nighttime snacking is yes. going to come to an end. <laughs> My waistline might thank me, but my taste buds are going to be real upset because <laughs> some of the best things I eat, I feel like, are after he goes to bed and yeah. <laughs> we're fast encroaching on that time where it won't yes. be happening anymore. Is there that a favorite? A is there a favorite nighttime snack for you, or do you go? Do you have a tried and true uh, menu? Okay, so. Um, Sometimes if my husband and I are like really feeling like well, we need some, you know, more sustenance, like I, dinner wasn't a hit or whatever mm -hmm. I made was, you know, not enough. Um, we will make uh, chicken nuggets and then have like an assortment of sauces, like all Ooh. the sauces, like spicy ranch and honey mustard and like all the things. Right. Yeah. Um. But generally speaking, it is those little like snack bags of chips. Yes. Um, and they're I so small, you can brand. have like four. <laughs> uh, well, I limit, I try to just do two, but they are punctuated after each bag of chips. <laughs> it goes this order bag of chips, gummy snacks, bag of chips, oh, gummy snacks. Mixing it up. I see. <laughs> because the, the gummy snacks remove the chip. Uh, bits from your teeth and they taste so delicious. You've got a whole system, don't you? <laughs> I do. <laughs> got a whole routine. <laughs> <laughs> got it down to a science, man. Snacking science. <laughs> yeah, I used to be, so I'm an ice cream 
addict. And so I used to have ice cream like every night. And that's just, oh, ah. that, 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 that's a weight gainer right there, big time. And, or chips, you know, any kind of chips, uh, you know, is a, I'm a big fan. But, you know, you've heard me talk on the show, Boss Heroes, about the changes I've tried to make to my diet. So, really, for the past two years, nighttime snacking for me has either been um, gin. <laughs> which is it the healthiest oh. <laughs> snack every night. Every once in a while, it's fine. Yeah. Nightcap's a good idea. Um, but no, I, I switched to a like a low-sodium, healthy popcorn or Ooh, okay. cheese. I do love, I'll make almost like a little mini charcuterie board where I've got like two or three kinds of cheeses and I'll rock the cheese as the nighttime snack. So, you know, I'm trying. I'm trying to progress away from some of the the less healthy options there. Post kiddo yeah. bedtime. <laughs> oh, I love this for both of us. I love it. <laughs> well, I, got a, I got an email recently uh, from Lauren, and uh, Lauren and I have known each other a little while. We both have done a lot of work in the healthcare space, um, and uh, so I really liked this question. I thought I would I would uh, allow us to get into it today because it's a problem that so many are facing. Hi, Joe. I'm a huge fan of your podcast. I'm looking for ways to better support our employees when they are faced with difficult or abusive customers. This is a fact of life in almost any job, but now it seems these toxic behaviors are everywhere. Employees, especially in my industry of healthcare, are really getting hit hard. How do we as leaders take care of our people effectively when everyone's emotions are running so high? I'm afraid another sign in the lobby asking patients to be kind and more patient because our staff is working so hard for them just isn't going to be enough. And boy, that last sentence there tells us so much, doesn't it, Alyssa, about mm-hmm. how long so many folks have been enduring some some really harmful outbursts and and some really just abusive behavior from patients if if you've or from customers. If you have been plugged into the news for any amount of time, probably the most public versions of this are the, some of the things that we've heard about happening on airplanes. Um, we know that folks who are working in a lot of frontline or essential worker kind of roles are facing these kinds of problems. And to Lauren's point, they've been trying to find a way to navigate it, right? They're, they're, we're putting signs up that say, hey, you know, the whole world is short-staffed. Please be kind to the people who showed up. So, so we've sort of appealed to the better angels of people at first, but for so many folks listening, they're still dealing with some of this garbage. And so how do we better support our employees as leaders when they're, when they have to face down some of this stuff in their jobs? Where do you want to start, Alyssa? So the way that I, um, approach this is kind of twofold. Number one, as a human, First, right? Okay, just in all of the daily interactions that you may or may not have, (laughs) uh, depending upon what your comfort level is, in the public. So going to the grocery store, whatever it might be, the energy that we bring in as by simply existing and going into a place of business matters. Um. So the first thing is make sure you're not contributing to an environment that is hurting the employees of that place of business, okay? So number one, don't be the problem, obviously. Number two, obviously Lauren isn't the problem. (laughs) I'm just making an appeal to our general think. 
We have to be part of the solution and do it proactively. And the way that I'm saying that we do that is when we witness, when we are an observer of this kind of behavior, of abuse, of employees, of the continual berating and just dragging people who are doing their job through all of what we're feeling, when we are a witness to that, we have to do something. We cannot allow it to be a safe space for that kind of behavior. And so while it may be easier uh, in the short term to not get involved, long-term, it is hurting our society and humanity as a whole. When we let people think that they can do these kinds of things and say the kinds of things that they say to people, Mm -hmm. we let them think that civility is no longer a requirement of operating in society. Mm -hmm. And that's not okay. So we have to do the short-term, uncomfortable crap and say, whoa, 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 whoa. I I know that you're upset, but you don't get to treat people like that. That's not the way that society operates. If you want to use that language, you go outside, you go in your car, and then you come back down and you can talk to somebody in a reasonable way. But this isn't the kind of thing that we can let go unaddressed. We have to make it not a safe space for hate speech, for just rudeness, incivility in general, because that's the only way that we get long-term solution. You know, I think that for a, a goodly portion of the population, and you and I are alike in this way, Alyssa, we just have a hard time computing how someone can show up in that way. It doesn't compute. It, it's hard for me to get my head around how someone gets to a place where they lash out at someone in a, in a workplace like that. Um and so I, I think some of what you said is what we would want to say to that person. It's it's kind of the the outrage and the who do you think you are and this is not right. And I think that in places of business, it's okay to say those things where you're defining boundaries. And, and I think that's probably the, the first piece of advice that I would give anybody listening to this whose team is facing these kinds of behaviors and problems consistently is that. You need to very clearly define boundaries for what you expect staff to navigate versus what will not be tolerated. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you make those same boundaries clear to the customers. And just as Alyssa described, as soon as someone violates that, being able to say, okay, this isn't okay here. You're going to have to either compose yourself differently or leave. Like, that's it. And we will not service you. Uh, and we will not be of service to you in the in the way that we normally would because you're engaging in behavior that is abusive and that is out of bounds for what is tolerated here. And 
there are a couple of different ways that we can do that, that we can help our team with that. Like one of the things that I know a lot of leaders are doing right now in workplaces where this kind of behavior is persistent is the managers step in and they try to redirect, right? So as soon as, you know, especially for those folks who are front facing and who's, who mm-hmm. engage with customers every single day, there's only so much emotional capital that we have when we come into work in the morning. And if our, our, our cup is full, then the number of difficult or problematic people we see determine whether or not that cup is empty by 11 a.m. or 4 p.m. And so I want the cup for my employees to stay full as long as possible. So as soon as I see someone who is maybe more aggressive or more difficult or challenging, if I can swoop in as the leader and say, hey, why don't you step back here into my office and we'll see if we can get this worked out for you. Or, or I'm going to pull you over here so I can give you um, some more attention for the specific problem that you're having. You, you absorb that blow on behalf of your employees wherever possible. And that way, if they if they persist with the bad behavior, then you are the person with the power and the authority to say, okay, this is not okay. You need to, to change how you're talking to us or you need to leave. And so defining those boundaries, both for the people who are coming in and out of your place of business, but also for your staff. Here's... Here's what I expect you to navigate. You are going to get yelled at. You are going to get barked at. People are. This is an emotional thing. You know. I think about all the people who are working the air in the airlines right now. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was about to get on a plane to come home after a long and exhausting trip, and literally 30 minutes before boarding, the flight was canceled. This is happening all over the country. And I watched so many different people have so many different kinds of interactions with the ticket agents, with the gate agents. We That lady didn't cancel the flight. It's not her fault. But but And how I came to her and how I interacted with her in a lot of ways dictated what they could or couldn't do for me. And I know that some people believe that the squeaky wheel gets the grease. And if I don't put my foot down and command attention that and make people uncomfortable, that I'm not going to get every avenue opened to me for a solution. But I, I don't believe that that's true. Um, and so I would imagine if I was a manager for those ticket agents, I need to prepare them for all those different kinds of behaviors. And that you, you are going to get yelled at because, hey, if I'm going to see my dying mother and, the, and time is of the essence and I need to get on a plane, then I might not be the nicest person in that moment. Now, that doesn't excuse bad behavior, but it also makes it understandable and realistic about why it might occur. So those boundaries are an important one for me, I think, Alyssa, along the way of, of helping folks get better at this and deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that... Uh that was the third element. It speaks to the third element that I consider whenever you are talking about it at a, you are in the functionality of a leader in, uh, and your folks are experiencing that. Then it becomes explicit in terms of what those boundaries are to say, you can expect to get yelled at, you know, this is something that you're going to have to deal with and you can talk about de-escalation and, you know, all of those kinds of strategies. But when they cross these lines, they curse at you. They get physical in any way with you. They, uh, you know, make you feel unsafe in some way, right? That's when I need us to have a plan so that I can step in, yeah, right? So that it doesn't come across as you're usurping them in any way. 
that you're not confident in their ability to have resolved or interact with with these individuals, but rather they can be comforted and know where their boundaries are, that they can relinquish this and say, okay, now we're done. I don't have to interact with this individual anymore. They have crossed these boundaries. I love that word, that that phrase that you used. You said make a plan. And that's such a tangible thing, I think, for a lot of leaders. Do you have a plan? Do your employees know what the plan is? And and Alyssa kind of put everything into sort of two tiers here, right? We have our regular customers who come in every day. But sometimes we have difficult customers. That's tier one. And now we're, we have to give folks the tools that they need, the training that they need, and the coaching that they need, and, 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 and help them reframe their thinking about navigating difficult behavior. That's part of the job in so many different places. But then there's this other tier, which is abusive, right? So, so mm-hmm. really being able to frame it in that way, I think, for your personnel, that you're going to have to deal with difficult behavior sometimes. It's a part of the gig. We're going to give you the tools and the training and the support, and we're going to help you. But you every once in a while may encounter an abusive person. So let's talk about exactly what is and isn't okay, and let's make a plan for what's going to happen when that shows up. So I, I love how yeah. you framed that. I, you know, to be perfectly honest with our audience, I I have a plan in my head of like the things that I say or will say if I witness a situation. So that's why I was talking about in the in the in the first half of this is like if I am going to make those kinds of behaviors not acceptable in society, then I have to have a plan for what it is I'm going to say because I'm not going to meet them where they are and escalate. My goal is make it not a safe space for them to do that. This is not the way that, you know, that society operates. So I have to act differently and use words that I plan out in my head. The other thing that I think um, is important that you mentioned is you talked about how we interact with the employee and making those boundaries And then what happens afterwards, Mm -hmm. after some of that interaction, right, Um, where they have this cup (laughs) and the cup is depleted at 11 a.m., right? So it goes to what we have talked before about in one of our boss scripts, which is how does that employee experience support? Mm. So knowing what you know, if you've asked that question to that employee, and if you haven't, do that first, number one, how do they experience support and then give that to them in that form? You know, whether that's words of of assurance, whether that's they need five minutes to go in the back and scream into a pillow or have a cup of coffee or whatever they need to decompress and their cup's not going to get filled back up instantaneously. Mm-hmm. But they're going to get maybe back to that neutral standpoint where they're not actively being depleted. You know, and forgetting the abusive folks for just a minute, because I think we want to also talk about the the range of difficult behavior that so many folks see every day. You know the the kind of follow up conversations that you're talking about are so important. I'm I'm remembering a story shared with me by a really strong clinical practice manager that I met many years ago. And she told me the story of um, an elderly couple coming into their practice for an appointment. Um, The wife is there for a cancer treatment, and they discover upon checking in that they are in the wrong location. And 
the husband just goes off. Uh, this was a, an urban location, lots of challenges related to parking and stairs and elevators, and it's it's a little bit of a production to get where they needed to go. And now they aren't even in the right part of the city for this. Mm-hmm. And so husband just pops off, and it's unpleasant. And so somebody from the team goes in the back, grabs the manager. She comes out. She tries to move this guy. Hey, why don't you come back to my office? And he says, no. And he just wants to perform for the audience there in the waiting room and just unload. And eventually, she was able to de-escalate him a little bit and and made arrangements for them to get where they needed to go. She took a lot of, of kind of kid glove care with them, but this took some time and it, it was an exhausting experience for everybody involved. And afterwards, she talked about how some of her staff came to her to say, are you okay? And she said, no, I'm, mm. I'm fine. And they said, well, we were really worried about you because that was so intense. And she said, oh, that, that wasn't about me at all. Like that didn't have anything to do with being in the wrong place. He wasn't yelling at me. He's yelling at cancer. His wife has cancer. Mm-hmm. And, she was, and he's scared to death. He's been scared to death for months. And it just all came out. And that's what happened at that moment. He wasn't yelling at me. He was yelling at cancer. And she talked about how that was kind of a really important moment, a pivotal moment for how those folks at the front desk viewed their jobs and the compassion and the empathy that they bring to the interactions that they have. Is it ever okay for somebody to scream their head off at you? Most of the time, no. But if if we can better understand what might make a good person act that way, we may end up seeing a story behind the behavior that helps us show up in a more compassionate and tolerant way. And so what I think that manager did and what we have to do sometimes as leaders is we turn our personnel into heroes, right? Give them capes, give them mental capes that they can put on to say, at this moment, at in this person's darkest moment, I'm seeing them on their worst day, instead of being like, I'm going to get that person out of my face as fast as possible because I don't want to deal with them. I am not going to give them the power to lower the level of my service delivery. And I'm actually going to be the hero to them. By the time I'm done with this interaction, they're going to be thanking me and apologizing for how they acted because nothing you say to me is going to make me anything less than the most helpful, nicest, best person that I can possibly be in the work that we're doing together. Uh, And some of those reframing conversations can help with that, especially when you try to empower people to have that much command and control over their disposition in those interactions. It's hard. But those are the kinds of supportive conversations we need to be having as leaders, too. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. And one more thing, Lauren, uh, and for anybody else listening. Our frontline personnel, they need more breaks. They need more vacation time. They need to have their roles rotated out. If they're constantly deluged by this kind of difficult or abusive behavior, then it's not an eight-hour job. They're not going to hang in there all day. They need to work for an hour, take a break. Work for an hour, take a break. And we need to be rotating people in and out. Um, Alyssa, have you ever watched professional wrestling on television? Yes. (laughs) I was a big pro wrestling fan growing up. I was a, I was a Hulkamaniac, to be honest. And uh, yeah, and I, I said my prayers and I ate my vitamins and I trained every day like Hulk Hogan encouraged me to. And <laughs> I, I the always, Slim Jim guy. Uh, he was Macho Man. Yeah, Randy Macho Sa- Man, Randy yeah, Savage. Yeah, Randy Savage. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay. So you have a little bit of familiarity with oh, the yeah. genre, yeah, yeah. right? Um, yeah. I always love the mental image. If you ever watched tag team wrestling, there's a formula. 
that they follow, right? When they tell the story. In the middle of the story, one member of the tag team is getting beat up pretty bad. And you think it's over and it's done for. And he's trying to crawl over to the corner to tag in his teammate, right? Right. And he's he's reaching and he's trying to get there. And at the last minute, he tags his teammate and his teammate comes in like a house of fire, right? And then and and because they've been standing at the corner turnbuckle for so long. Yeah, I know it's all fake. Just go with me. Um <laughs> but we gotta do that at work sometimes, right? Like if you've been sitting at the front desk and you're dealing with a lot of crap like i gotta tag in my teammate who can come in there with much greater reserves of compassion and humanity and kindness and energy if i'm all tapped out and so what is the plan does your team have a signal can you come up with a signal that they can use to say listen uh, I'm about to go pro wrestler here and and you know body slam this person. I need to tag in and have somebody with more reserves and more energy and more compassion take over at this point because I'm done. And so you you work out a signal and you figure out who is my tag in or tag out person when I'm on the front lines. Yeah, make a plan. Anytime we can reference pro wrestling in our podcast. <laughs> I feel like we've done good. Well, now it's your turn, folks. What topics do you want to see us address on a future episode of Boss Better Now? We would love to hear from you as our show is shaped by your questions and the stories you tell and the challenges you face. And so please email your ideas, your questions, your suggestions, your topics to us at bossbetternow at gmail.com. And if you're dealing with a lot of the crap that so many are facing out there, just know that Almost all of us appreciate what you do and apologize on behalf of the jerks of the world. Let's lighten the mood a little bit, shall we, Alyssa? We have arrived at the camaraderie question of the week. Bosses build camaraderie on teams by making it easier for people to find things in common with each other. That's why every week we give you a question you can use at meetings to facilitate connection and build camaraderie. This week's question is as follows. What is one project you will never take on again? Alyssa, I see you chuckling. I'm already excited for your answer. What is one project you will never take on again? I I knew the instant it it left your mouth. Instantaneously. Mass hiring and or recruiting on a large scale. Uh. Never. Never again. I can't even imagine doing it in today's society and okay. uh, work environment. Uh, but I have been a part of uh, recruitment in the HR spectrum uh, for many years uh, previously. And specifically, I did a mass hiring event for um, a hotel that I helped open up, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I have learned that is my least, very least favorite HR activity ever. Okay. So what about that is difficult? Uh, that people. specific kind of, of event that you talked about, <laughs> a mass hiring event for a hotel. I want, put me in it. What's the granular detail about the suckitude? What makes that difficult? The logistics of just trying to meet everyone's wants, right? And, and knowing that you have this very large list of needs, 
but then you have wants. Wants on the part of the managers that we haven't yet hired that will be placed to lead the employees that we're also hiring. <laughs> right? So you're hiring leaders and manage mm. leaders and employees at the same time because you can't it can't work like chicken and then the egg. It's yeah. it's got to have both at the same time. Uh, and then you have the wants of the employees that are trying. To, they want to fill. Okay, well, I can't have that role. Well, can I have that role? Can I have this role? Like they want to apply for everything. And then you're just trying to slot them into all of these things. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that sounds hard. I, I got I got the heartburns just Thinking yeah. about it again. Yeah. Uh, well, the good news <laughs> is I don't think you're going to have to do that anytime soon. <laughs> I'm going to make sure of it. <laughs> Dang sure. I don't have to do that. Oh, what say you? Um, so I, I thought about this question slightly differently. Um, what is one project you will never take on again? The, the answer is rebuilding a stone retaining wall. <laughs> So the, the the first house that my wife and I bought was this little starter house uh, near downtown Pittsburgh. And if you've ever been to Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh is is on the edge of the Appalachian Mountain Range. We have hills like some of y'all have never seen. And our first house was built into a hill. And so the backyard was kind of tiered. It was very wooded and tiered. And right behind the house, we had these three levels of old stone retaining wall. Uh, and the house was 80 years old. And, and I mean, the house was 900 square feet. It was this tiny kind of urban city house. And these these retaining walls had been built with these giant rocks. And they were leaning and twisting and tilting. And it was kind of sort of flooding the backyard a little bit differently. And when you're first engaged and married and you buy your starter home, there is no money to hire anybody to do anything. And you're like, I'm 30. I can, I can I, do I'm it. I'm 29. I'm still in my 20s. I'm going to rebuild that retaining wall. I'm going to do that this weekend. Never. <laughs> a weekend. <again>. A weekend. <laughs> First thing to understand is that each of those rocks probably weighs easily 100 pounds. Yep. The second thing to recognize is that I'm 5'9. And though my physique was rippling at the time, it was rippling in all the wrong places, Alyssa. <laughs> and so after moving, like, now I have a pretty good work ethic. Like, my, my dad built houses. I did a lot of construction work and labor in, in high school and college. And so I have no problem being out there for a day. But even just one person, 5'9", slightly chubby, short, lifting 100-pound rocks to rebuild. And these retaining walls, they were the length of the house. Yep. Right. And there were three of them. And so it, it took weeks to get the to get the one, the lowest. I just rebuilt the lowest one. I was like, we're going to live with whatever else happens with the other two. It's just that's just the way that it is. And I did remember. I remember saying to Jess, I will never do that again. Hand yeah. stacking a stone retaining wall with like the giant rocks the size of your whole like body's trunk. No, never. <laughs> Ever check check. <laughs> That's all I have to say Love about it. that. <laughs> and that is the camaraderie question of the week. Well, Alyssa, I don't know if you noticed, but I slipped in a little preview of the boss script that we brought 
to the show this week. So the boss script that I want to talk about this week is a question. And the question is, what about that is difficult? So we do boss scripts here on the show where we give leaders questions or language they can use to overcome certain kinds of situations or challenges as a leader. And I like this question as a kind of coaching question in a couple of different situations. Here's the first one. Um, I read an article recently in Harvard Business Review where they were summarizing the most read, clicked on research that they had published this year. And one of their most popular articles was an article about what people need at work to perform at a high level. And we were seeing in this article a lot of the things that we talk about on our show. But there was this wonderful little nugget buried deep in this research article. And it said this, when managing through change, learning the granular details of employees' days can reveal ways to reduce bureaucratic, redundant, and unnecessary activities that get in the way of their success. And I loved that phrase, learning the granular details. And I thought, you know, do we really do a good job of that as leaders sometimes? When somebody tells us they don't like an idea or that something would be hard to implement, do we take the time to say, okay, tell me more about that? There's one of our former boss scripts. Or what are some mm -hmm. other questions we can use to draw out those, those granular details? And so this question, so what about that is difficult? I know as a coach, Alyssa, you use what's hard about that. So that's mm -hmm. a variation on this. So this is one kind of circumstance where I think this script is really useful and important to put in our pocket and carry with us and use from time to time because it's going to force people to get into more specifics. I, I used it. I don't know if, if you noticed when you said about the mass hiring event at a hotel, I said, okay, what about that is difficult because I wanted to be placed in the circumstance and better understand it ah. at a nitty gritty level. Uh, so I know you like this kind of question and, and it's, it's cousins as a coach. Yeah, Tell me I why. do. I like the, I like, um, a variation of that in the form of, can you tell me about the difficulty with that okay. task yeah. or, um, only because <laughs> when I, when I read now, I didn't, interestingly enough, when you said it to me, I in no way felt, uh, it being condescending or right. like, cause my, when I read that initially, I have this inner thing where I might say it and be like, what's so difficult about that? Yeah. The tone matters. You know, Oh, yeah. <laughs> it does. What so, about that so is difficult, me, Alyssa? Really? What about that is hard? Right. <laughs> or, so for me, I have to change the language yeah. so I don't, in, just in case my attitude is off that Snarky. day. <laughs> yes. The level of snark scale, right? Snark yeah. scale. Um, But being able to ask this question gives the opportunity or gives the understanding that you want to understand. Mm -hmm. You want to feel what it's like to be in their shoes. Yes. And you could pair, like you could say, what about that is difficult? Tell me what I don't know. 
right? You can add that in, yeah, and yeah. that that sort of creates the sincerity around that interest that you have. Because we've, we've said it on this episode, we talk about it a lot. We have to refrain from judgment and really start with curiosity. And so when we have people object to something uh, or talk about challenges, saying, okay, I, I want to better understand that in a more specific way, so tell me what's difficult about that. Yeah. You create some of that yep. context and, and create some sincerity around it. Absolutely. I, I, I like that a lot. I also like the same question or and all of its cousins when someone is expressing emotions. If someone is expressing a feeling about something where they're struggling or they're uncomfortable or they're frustrated – you don't always have to have an answer. Sometimes you're just there to help them get it out. Mm. And so being able to say, yeah, that must be hard. Tell me what's difficult about that. This helps being you able, open that up. Yeah. The being able to be the conduit by which someone is able to get granular details for themselves on what their emotions are and how they're actually feeling leads to clarity on both parties. Yeah. And and here's the thing that, that is important to understand is that as human beings, the things that stick to our brain more than anything else are stories. It's, mm -hmm. you know, if, if you saw a really good speaker somewhere and what you remember are the stories that they told. If you read a great nonfiction book about leadership or any other subject, what stand out to you are the stories that they use to impart the lessons. And so when you ask people for granular detail, they end up telling you a story that you will remember. Already right now, I don't remember the first two or three sentences you said, Alyssa, about why a mass hiring event at a hotel is hard. But when I said, what are the, what, what are the granular details? What's difficult about that? And you talked about trying to slot everybody in and talked about uh, you know, the person who says, well, I want this job, but if I don't get it, can I have that job? I remember that. I'm in the moment. That is a story about what somebody said or did or wanted, and that sticks to my brain in a completely different way. And so what you end up doing for yourself as a leader, when you probe with these kind of questions that draw out more granular detail, is you supercharge your brain to remember the wants and the needs and the challenges that people are facing so that later when you talk to them, you may sit across from somebody and six months later say, hey, I remember about that time you talked about how hard it is to slot the people in at the mass recruiting events. Uh, now, as we plan for the next one, how can I help you with that? And now you're showing up as someone who really does care about and is invested in truly solving people's problems, problems that you would otherwise not have remembered if you allowed the people sharing them with you to just use generic, like macro language that's ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. freaking lootly Well, friends, we hope you had a good time with us this week. I mean, we mixed in like pro wrestling and nighttime snacking, right? We were we try to make it fun around here. And if you happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts and you had some fun, well, then we'd like to ask you a small favor. Would you take just 60 seconds right now and leave us a review? Reviews are important to shows like ours. On the screen of the episode you're listening to, just tap the linked show named Boss Better Now with Joe Mull. And when the show page opens, scroll to the bottom and then tap Write a Review. If you've found any of what we do here helpful or interesting, know that Alyssa and I both would be truly grateful for your review. Thanks for listening, 
and we'll see you next time. This show is sponsored by Joe Mall and Associates. Remember, commitment comes from better bosses. Visit JoeMall.com today. Are you planning a meeting, conference, retreat, or event? Why not invite our own Joe Mall to be your keynote speaker? How many people here who supervise have had their time, attention, and energy devoured by someone who is not committed? If yes, say yes. And an amen. See, like I said. Joe teaches leaders how to boss better and cultivate commitment in a way that is funny, captivating, and filled with takeaways. Do you believe that these people are coming to me and telling me that I'm sticking my nose in where it doesn't belong? Oh my gosh, wonderful. Really engaging and thought-provoking, which is really great with lots of good tools to take home. You felt present, like you wanted to lean in. You didn't want to pick up your phone and scroll through Facebook. Whether your event is virtual or in person, your audience doesn't want another boring 60-minute lecture. They deserve to learn and be inspired by a world-class program they simply cannot turn away from. That's what you get, guaranteed, from Joe Mall. We can all agree we want our employees to care and try, but care and try isn't about competence. It's about commitment. And commitment can't be bought. It can only be earned. Your number one job as a leader is to cultivate commitment. For more information, visit joemall.com forward slash speaking. Hey!